Nexus Beans and welcome to another episode of the Force Nexus podcast, a place where we get to talk about the light side, the dark side and everything else in between from that galaxy far, far away. I hope you are all having a wonderful day today on day two of 30 days of Star Wars leading up to the launch of Rise of Skywalker. Yesterday we spoke about your favourite character with day one. And uh, if you're yet to listen to that episode, you can go ahead and check it out on our Spotify feed or our Anchor feed or on the YouTube channel. I've got a playlist there which are going to hold all 30 episodes of this big Star Warsy challenge. But today, with day number two, we are talking your favourite Jedi. Now, to some of you listening, this might be a really obvious pick, but I hope to take the time today in this episode to highlight some of the very key points as to why this character strikes such a chord with me and why I feel like he is so impactful, other than the obvious reasons, to this saga, to everything we've seen in Star Wars at the moment. Born on the planet of Stujon, he is Padawan turned Jedi Master turned Old Desert Hermit. Yes, my favourite Jedi is indeed Mr. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, I wanted to do the same as I did in the last episode and talk about, well, just read out the summary paragraph from the Wikipedia page. But as I was bringing my notes together this morning, I mean, his Wikipedia, I mean, his entire summary can fit a Wikipedia page. So instead, let's just go through a brief overview of his events from the beginning to his end. First seen in The Phantom Menace under the tutelage of Qui-Gon Jinn, it is Obi-Wan Kenobi who from after that film is the one to train young Anakin Skywalker following the death of Qui-Gon Jinn at the hands of Darth Maul. Now he is a really cool tidbit and a bit of a ego boost I guess among the Jedi Order, should the Jedis actually have egos actually. But he was the first out of any Jedi for a thousand years to defeat a member of the Sith. We then see him in Attack of the Clones. He leads up the investigation on the clone army. He is the one that discovered the creation for this army, unbeknownst to the Jedi Council itself. And then obviously we see the absolutely heartbreaking, traumatic, and really the amazing lightsaber fight between himself and his former Padawan um, and brother, really, his best friend, uh, after so long as he turns to the dark side. Following the aftermath of the battle and believing his best friend has been left to die, he takes the children of Anakin and Padme out into hiding uh, to hide them away from the Emperor and and the returning, uh, the returning Sith. Uh, where there on Tatooine, he lies in waiting, overlooking uh, a new hope for the galaxy. He holds that position and sticks true to his commitment up until the time is right for Luke Skywalker to finally find out what his true destiny is and pick up that hero's blade, the lightsaber that we know so well, and begin his Jedi path. Unfortunately, as we all know, that path does include the end of his physical path, you could say, as he is struck down by his old Padawan in his former best friend, I guess you could say, Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, as he tries to cover Luke, Han, Leia and Chewie on their escape from the Death Star. 
becoming one with the Force. He then acts as the mentor, really, on Luke's Jedi path, giving him advice as a blue, glowy Force ghost, and hanging out with Yoda on Dagobah. And now, that doesn't even touch any of his appearances in the Clone Wars, which to me is some of the funniest you will ever see of Obi-Wan. I mean, for example, just take it from the Clone Wars movie, I believe it is, uh, he is commanding an army of clone troopers as they are in the streets in a firefight against the Separatists. He realised that he is pretty overwhelmed. So, <laughs> instead of retreating or continuing to fight, he, he actually concedes the battle and... <laughs> then goes on to have refreshments tea, I suppose. He's got like a little teacup going with the enemy general to arrange living conditions and how his own troops will be fed. Obviously, it's all a ploy, but it is done so well. And you just know that Obi-Wan is probably the master troll, not just the master Jedi, but the master troll. But Obi-Wan cracking wise jokes and making me laugh isn't just the only reason why he is my favourite Jedi. He's my favourite Jedi specifically for a reason, because I believe he is the only Jedi that sticks absolutely true to his be beliefs as, as a Jedi, and the whole Jedi Order as a whole. And by that, I kind of mean, we've seen, as, as we witness Obi-Wan's story throughout all the content, we we see that he's had multiple opportunities to embrace the dark through emotional pain. A lot of emotional pain. And through it all, he stuck to the light. He never gave in to that darkness. And even for a minute, as I'm thinking back, I don't think I can recall a situation where we see even a vision of Obi-Wan talk turn into the dark side there might be one in the mortis arc but that whether that's actually the force or whether that's a manipulation is a different is a different topic but i mean for example uh we see mace i mean this is a special case mace windu kind of harnesses both the light and the dark and kind of makes himself kind of central on that um we even see kind of like a manifestation of yoda in the Clone Wars with the dark side. And that's why Yoda's not my top one. Because we see his manifestation of his dark side power in, the, I think it's the Visions episode, um, of what it could be if Yoda turned to the dark side. But throughout my entire Star Wars kind of research and, and watching everything, I don't recall a single one. As I said, he's had many opportunities to go down that dark path. I'm going to try and stay as uh, spoiler-free as I can do, but even at the very beginning, his journey as a Padawan wasn't the easiest compared to other Jedi. Um, from what we see in The Phantom Menace and then kind of what we know about Qui-Gon Jinn, we assume that they're really good friends, that they work well together. Granted, Qui-Gon is still trying to teach him a lot, as we see from the beginning of the film. But if you read Master and Apprentice, you find out that their relationship was actually really hard. Qui-Gon was like, very, he kept himself to himself. He was very deep in his prophecies. And I don't think Obi-Wan could really get his head around that. He found him a bit odd 
really, and a bit a bit hard to talk to. It's only until later on in the book that we see him trying to, uh, sorry, that we see him starting to warm up uh, to Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon vice versa. He has a very hard time trying to connect with Obi-Wan himself. So, I mean, that could have maybe started to sow a little bit of uh, doubt, maybe, in Obi-Wan, but sticking true to his Jedi ways, he perseveres through it, and he always sees a way to overcome that problem. Now, moving down the timeline a little bit, the next time we see Obi-Wan potentially on the brink of not fully the dark side, but maybe tasting it a little bit, giving it a little bit of a lick, um, is when Darth Maul takes out Qui-Gon Jinn. And I mean, you see Qui-Gon go down, the lightsaber is pulled out, and then the next thing Maul does is turn around to look at Obi-Wan and you see his face. You hear the scream, no! And his face is filled with anger. Soon as that door opens, that shield barrier, he is like a bull in a china shop, straight for Maul, hacking and slashing. One of the best fights we've seen in Star Wars. And it is in my head canon, I go, oh, he is pissed. He is really annoyed, and he might even be tapping in to the strength of the dark side, taking it out on Maul. Obviously, though, he does the job, and it's like a switch has gone. He comes straight back to the light, and he's holding the, uh, you know, the, the the dying body of his master, uh, which I can only imagine is 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 an incredibly hard thing to do. But it is in that that he sticks true to the light. He brings himself back from this anger. He centers himself again. Uh, he does mourn a little bit, but he understands that this is the way of the Force. And I really do feel like Qui-Gon is, um, is, is to be credited there. I think um, through Qui-Gon's kind of, not grey, but kind of like almost neutral kind of understanding of the Force, uh, definitely with the Cosmic Force, he would have learned from Qui-Gon that death is a natural part of life uh, we even see that play out in episode four i guess he could make a connection there um but he does center himself back again and realign himself in my eyes anyway back into the light to carry on uh, his jedi path now following down the timeline a little bit and sticking with the same theme of teetering on the dark side um i wanted to touch a little bit on the clone wars arc where obi-wan goes to mandalore to help duchess satine with uh, their Death Watch problem. Now, the Mandalorians at this point, although they are renowned for being amazing warriors, under the rule of Duchess Satine, she wanted to move them away from that violent warrior kind of culture and make them more into a peaceful, uh, a pacifist nation. And as we get to see Obi-Wan and Satine spend a bit of time together, we actually learn, in fact, that Satine was a love interest for Obi-Wan. They were together for a brief period of time whilst um, Obi-Wan was on Mandalore previously. And we actually find out through the arc that he, if it was asked of him, if Satine had ever asked for him to, to do so, he would have left the Jedi Order and stayed with her instead. And I bring this up because we see this happen. We see this happen in episode three with uh, Anakin and Padme. We see that kind of struggle between that 
uh, that choice. Do you stick to what you have pledged your life to and what you essentially believe to be the right path in in the galaxy, or do you do you take the I'm going to say selfish. I'm going to use that word very lightly. The selfish path and fulfill your own happiness and, you know, stick with the one you love. It really does kind of highlight that Jedi selflessness that they really that they really embody. And in it's it's done in such such a great way because when he is explaining this to Satine, you can see the pain in his in his eyes that he thinks back to these memories he had with her and thinks they were, you know, they were really nice. They were, they were lovely and they were back when times were peaceful. You know, he had someone to love. And now in the situation he's in, when he's saying all this to Satine, you know, both of their lives are in danger. Things are going really, really badly. And I don't know, just for Obi-Wan to turn around and say, all of this could have been prevented if we just ran away it's really kind of like powerful to me and how he kind of how he's dealing with uh, the aftermath of that but just when you think obi-wan couldn't get any more emotional and again i'm getting last warning uh, if you've not seen the mandalorian uh arc in the clone wars this is going to be a spoiler but we see his arch nemesis return this is a different podcast. I'm gonna can explain that in a different podcast. But we see uh, Darth Maul come back to team up with Death Watch, and part of his uh, domination over Mandalore does indeed include killing Satine right in front of Obi Wan in the Mandalorian throne room. And oh man, it's it's extremely powerful in so many ways. Uh, for a start, it's. Well, you, you you see him lose the very one person, the only person he ever romantically loved. As a Jedi, obviously he's not meant to have them kind of commitments, but he, he broke that commitment for a time for that one person. That in itself just holds um, a lot of emotion. And uh, to see her go like that is truly heartbreaking. But the flip side of that is that it's Maul. After all of this time... Uh, Obi-Wan thinking that Maul had been uh, had been killed on Naboo um, for him to come back and not only has he killed now his master but he has now killed his his, his lover at this point uh, Maul is the one stripping away parts of his life stripping away parts of his happiness and I just find that super tragic that he, he may have rid himself or you know, of of that kind of thought that this killer is out there, my master's killer is out there. He he went on for a good number of years believing that he had avenged uh, Qui-Gon just for Maul to come back and then kill the woman he loves. I mean, that's a pretty rough deal. And still through it all, uh, that could have been for any other Jedi, as we very well know for a certain Jedi, that is a path to the dark side losing the ones you love like that and having to having to kind of battle that ongoing conflict between yourself i want to lash out i want to be angry over all of this pain but i i shouldn't it's not the right thing to do and i should kind of deal with it in a more uh, a more productive and a more kind of a more kind of heartfelt way 
Now that brings us all the way up to episode three, which I think uh, to me is probably one of the biggest tragedies of Obi-Wan Kenobi um, in, in the entire story. And that is indeed Anakin falling to the dark side, learning the ways of the Sith and killing uh, all the Jedi after Order 66. From when he sees that hollow recording from the Jedi Temple, uh, you, you can see straight away the kind of heartbreak. Uh, he even alludes to it before. He says, I need to have a look at this. Yoda's all like, bro, don't do it. Mate, don't do it. You look at that and, you know, your worst fears will be confirmed. And, and they are, um, you know, the head goes down, the, he holds his forehead and you can see, like, the the thoughts going through his mind. What has he done? Why has he done this? I, I could never have thought this would be possible from my best friend, from my, uh, you know, almost, my, my almost son, you know, my brother. Somebody so close to him doing such a, an act of evil. Uh, it just must be so hard to comprehend. From there, he tries to talk to Padme in episode three again. Um after Anakin had left for Mustafar to try and find out where he'd gone. Padme thinks that he's off to go kill him, um, you know, keeping in mind everything that's happened up until this point. But I 100% believe that Obi-Wan is telling the truth and he is totally not out to kill Anakin. Instead, he wants to redeem his best friend. He wants to bring him back to the light. And everything he does up until that point, stowing away on the ship, um, you know, when Padme goes to see him, and then confronting Anakin is all trying to get his best friend, his his non-blood son, his brother, back to the light and, you know, stop him from going down such a destructive path, both for the galaxy and himself. But obviously we see that that doesn't happen um, and, and the fight breaks out. I do like just before they have the fight where Obi-Wan kind of quotes Qui-Gon a little bit. Uh, from the first film, you know, saying, I must, I will do what I must. But he realises, obviously, that all of his kind of efforts at this point at the moment to turn him back to the light using his words are futile. He is so set in uh, his own empire and ruling the galaxy through the dark side uh, to inevitably save the one he loves. And it's that kind of shroud of the darkness that Obi-Wan can't pierce um so like to me it, it, i kind i kind of see this next fight as kind of another mechanism uh, of sorts to kind of get through to anakin because if you notice like not only is it his um preferred fighting style is obi-wan's uh, to be more defensive but he never ever from what i see like goes to strike out to kill um to kill anakin and me, uh, I, I feel like that's that's him holding back because he doesn't actually want to kill his best friend. He wants to try and uh, maybe maybe last this fight out uh, in, until it comes to a point where he's in a better position to kind of get through to him. Again, unfortunately, that doesn't happen. We get through to uh, the lava bank and Obi-Wan is, is stood there on the ground, Anakin on the platform, and uh, to me, this is his last attempt. Uh, to to try and pull him round, you know, in in Obi Wan's mind, I kind of feel like he's saying, right, this is do or die. Like, 
this has, has to end. We've been fighting for like 15, 20 minutes, maybe hours. Maybe we haven't seen that. You know, this has been going on for a long time. There's only one way this is going to end. I don't want it to end in bloodshed. But if it does, then, you know, it might have to. So he says to Anakin, he gives him the warning. He says, look, I have the high ground. Don't come after me. You will lose. Don't do it. Um, but obviously Anakin, clouded by the dark side, takes the jump. And there we see the demise of his best friend. And it is in this next moment where I just... It encapsulates it all uh, for me. We see Ewan McGregor is such an amazing job at this. But you can just see all the emotional distraught on his face. You are my brother. I loved you. You know, that in itself, you're not meant to have connections and stuff. But he managed to deal with that in a way uh, that never, in fact, impacted his, his Jedi business, I guess, maybe up until now. But it is so heartbreaking. The way I think about it is that, and I can't comprehend this, because imagine the one closest person to you, whether it be a family member, your best friend, or, you know, a, a mentor or something like that, comes to you and essentially stands in the way of everything you have believed, you know, up until this point, everything that you believe is good for the galaxy, uh, good for the, you, you know, your way of life. Somebody uh, that you love that much is is willing to destroy not only all of that, but you as well, you know, all for the the desire of, 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 you know, selfish needs. And again, like I said in the other points, that would be enough to turn, you know, even some of the most strong, strongest willed Jedis to the dark side. Obi-Wan could have, uh, after this moment, took off. He could have still gone to Tatooine or he could have gone to any other planet and just put himself into exile and rotted away in the last of his days, you know, in his in his own sorrow, uh, leading him down that dark side of self-pity and stuff like that. But again, the reason why I think he is the number one Jedi is because after everything he's done, every single thing he's done, from The Phantom Menace losing Qui-Gon to losing Satine to losing Anakin, every single bit of hardship that he has encountered... He has taken it with stride and not killed over to despair or depression or anything like that. He has stayed true to the Order uh, even after uh, the Order is destroyed. He's stuck true to the light and the way of the Jedi. Um, to me, he is pretty much, uh, I guess you could argue, other than Yoda, but to me, he is the best uh, Jedi who has ever had to deal with that. Now, the last little canon bit I'm going to really briefly talk about because it is the most recent addition to Obi-Wan's story that we have. Um, so I don't want to I don't want to spoil this um, compared to stuff with the Clone Wars. Clone Wars has been out for ages, but this one is uh, fairly more recently and it is a really powerful moment. Um, but if you have seen uh, the story arc in Rebels that I'm talking about, then you know how powerful this moment is for him to be faced with another challenge of this caliber and then make peace with it afterwards it is just another testament to to his his commitment to the light side again i know i keep saying that but he keeps showing us time and time again that obi-wan is a jedi of the light like through and through
And then all the way up until episode four, uh, that still rings true uh, as he's trying to cover the escape of, uh, you know, Han, Luke, Leia, Chewie, C-3PO, R2. He, he's confronted by Vader for the last time. And it's, again, kind of pulling, um, pulling like a leaf out of Qui-Gon's book a little bit, I guess. Uh, understanding that uh, death isn't necessarily the end of the chapter. Um, and he, instead, he, he makes that really selfless um, kind of choice to, to give his own life to save, uh, as I said, the, the new hope for the galaxy to enable Luke to get away and actually pursue his journey as a Jedi and bring balance to the Force and peace to the galaxy. You know, he's still at that point, even in his death, committed to, to, to making things right. Whew. Well, I do feel like I've been talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi for quite a long time now, but he's such a deep character. Uh, I absolutely love him as a Jedi. He, like, if we're to answer, ask the question out of who's your favourite character out of all of the main ones, then he would be very high on that list. You know, he do, he doesn't make my favourite character specifically because of that reason. He is up there in the Hall of Fame with uh, certain characters. So it's really like a trump card, isn't it? Who's your favourite character? Hard Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, blah, blah, blah. I, I, I tend to stay away from them as favourite favorite characters overall because it's very hard to choose, uh, you know, one specifically. So, absolutely, like, to me, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the best Jedi in the entirety of the Star Wars universe, both sticking to the Jedi Order, having his flaws, but then also managing to make peace with it, and also not sounding like an absolute stuck-up and, you know, humorless uh, soul. He, he's got a lot of uh, funny moments, and that just makes him even more better uh, as, as a Jedi. Before I leave this episode, I just wanted to do the same thing as I did in day one and give you a little bit of an interesting tidbit on this character, a bit of behind the scenes kind of trivia. And you might already know this, but I mentioned at the beginning that Obi-Wan is from the planet Stewjon. Now, there had been no, I, I think, I, I don't think there is a single can, canon reference to this planet Stewjon. Because uh, whilst George Lucas was, I believe it was at the uh, 10th celebration in Orlando, Florida, uh, the comedian John Stewart was interviewing Lucas and he had asked for the name of Obi-Wan Kenobi's home planet. Jokingly, Lucas uh, replied and said, oh, Stu John. Stu John. <laughs> and obviously a mix up of, uh, you know, uh, John Stewart's name. It was then later discovered that StarWars.com itself had actually updated the encyclopedia entry to say that Obi-Wan Kenobi had originated from Stu John. So <laughs> literally the creator says it and it is done. So that will do it for today's episode, you luminous force beings. Thank you very much for joining me on episode two of, uh, of this podcast. You know, day two of 30 Days of Star Wars. If you didn't catch day one, the previous episode, you can find it on the Force Nexus podcast stream on Spotify and on Anchor. And I also have a YouTube channel, uh, the Force Nexus podcast on uh, on YouTube, where I'll be adding all of these episodes to a big playlist from one all the way to 30. So you can go and enjoy them on there as well. 
Join me tomorrow as we go over day number three of 30 Days of Star Wars and talk your favourite Sith will be going deep into the dark side of the Force. If you'd like a reminder of when that episode drops, then don't forget to follow the social media pages at TFNSW Podcast. That's on Twitter, Facebook and Spotify. Uh, of course, there's a YouTube channel as well that I mentioned. But until then, you luminous Force beings, may the Force be with you all, always. <laughs>